White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 743. I have dreams sometimes about things that will happen, and I wake up terrified. Despair, death, destruction. This is even bigger than the last crisis. An empire breathes respect. It requires it for its life. The Foundation is a threat to me. I will look at them in the eye and reclaim what is ours. For all of us to survive, we have to face them. We need to be in the fight. Fight for peace. Not because we fear we will lose, but because we know that if there is war, we will win. Taking the planet! It's time you and I had a reckoning. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, along with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I am joined this episode for a review of Season 2A, the first five episodes of Season 2 of Foundation on Apple Plus, Apple TV+, Plus, by my longtime co-host, John Ringer. Welcome aboard, John. Glad to be here, Van. Very excited to talk about this topic today. I know. It's a great, great show. We've both been enjoying it now. It's hard to believe it's two years, basically, in between installments. They're they're really taking a big risk that I'm not going to step out in front of a bus or get hit by a meteor. I'm from Sylacauga, Alabama, which has had people hit by meteors before, so it is possible. I was going to say, I'm much more worried about Lee Pace getting hit by a meteor. That's fair. That's a fair thing. <laughs> but... um. You know, I get since I'm from Sylacauga, I never thought about this before. If I'm from Sylacauga, Alabama, which was the only place ever hit where a person was hit by a meteor, doesn't that mean I'm even less likely than anybody else on Earth? Because what are the chances that the only two meteors to ever hit people would hit the people in the same from the same town? Probably if you still lived in Sylacauga. But oh. since you've moved, the probabilities, the psychohistory has changed. Oh, yeah, see, there you go, because it's about the... We can't predict the individual, just the mass, right? That's that's a big part of Harry's plan, right? So I hope Harry's plan didn't that I get hit by a meteor. All right. So John and I, John is my usual co-host on the AU Wishbone podcast and also occasionally here on White Rocket to talk about various things. And we both are big fans of this property, Foundation. 
And we thought, since there's just so much going on, like last, on season one, we waited until the end and reviewed it, and we had a lot to cover. So we figured, let's just jump in as it's about halfway. I hope it's halfway through. I hope there's going to be five more, and not like three more or something. And so we figured we would just take this opportunity at the midpoint to kind of just look at what they've done overall, what they've done in season two so far, maybe kind of where we think it's going. Now, one thing we got to note up front, we cannot spoil it with regards to the show because we haven't seen, we have no knowledge of the TV show going forward. So we know as little as anybody else that hasn't seen but the first five episodes. Um, And if you're listening to this later and wanting to know where that is, basically I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, John, I think the last thing we saw at the end of the fifth episode were the telepath mentalics people basically saying we're going to stop the second foundation from happening, right? Yes. Okay, so that's where we are as of this recording. Okay. Now, we could spoil some things from the books, but honestly, at this point, I'm not sure that's even possible because they're so far off the reservation. Yeah, they're not – this is not a a faithful – adaptation which it it should not be the books right. are not made for that and so they're just source material well let's address that for a second that's a really good point i totally agree that you know they've always said this was an unadaptable well they said that about lord of the rings they said that about dune they always they say that about all the big things right that it's unadaptable but i think in this case it's true because if you had it you could adapt it but it wouldn't be very exciting it's it's basically conversation. It very enjoyable. No, right. The books are fun because they're very fast paced in terms of there's not a, they're short. You know what I mean? They're short little sci fi books from back in the forties. They're basically a set of short stories that were kind of stitched together into into books more or less. And so or really novellas, right? They're a bunch of novellas in three volumes. And and so I'm glad that David Goyer and company like sat down and said, where could we take this using these books as a starting point? Where could we take these ideas and do a modern 21st century, you know, storyline or multiple out of it? So what do you think in terms of what they've accomplished just overall with that? I think they did a great job. I mean, I think it is not easy source material uh, to to create a, a good narrative out of. Because, like you said, it's these individual novellas told from different points of view and stuff, and it jumps around in history. And so, I think they did a really good job with that. And I think, but also taking the flavor and the perspective out of the novellas and creating the the universe that these stories inhabit. That I think they did a great job with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing I think is really cool is you're telling a story that that covers. At you know, at the small end, centuries, and really millennia, but it, it covers centuries. And so, in the books, they get around that by having different characters, right? It you know, Harry's a recording, and then everybody else. You have new characters come in and go, and come in and go. But I love how on the TV show we've been able to keep the same main characters, both in terms of the Foundation and the Empire. For, and they've used every possible 
there, there may be some methods I haven't thought of, but it seems like they've used every different method of having people last a long time. You could clone them. They did that. The emperors, right? Uh, you could have them frozen. They did that, right? Coming out of the spaceship. Uh, you could have them be a hologram or a stored memory. They did that. It's like every possible way of having the same basic character live over many, many, many years. They've done it in different ways with different characters. And I just think that's really cool. It is. But you're right. It also allows them to jump the story ahead and then come back with the same people, which is important for narrative. Instead of us having to relearn new characters. All the yes. Time. Yeah. And I mean, we want to like characters and get to know them and enjoy them. And if we had to start over every every time it jumps ahead, you know, like, for example, you know, Hober Mallow in the books, I believe, you know, shows up in a later set of stories or events. But by the time he does, Gale and Salver and all of them are long gone. This is going to kind of let them interact because they're all alive at the same time. And I love that rather than Harry just appearing every 100 years or 200 years, he just keeps popping up in different forms all over the place, which, which A, is great for the story, and B, I mean, Jared Harris is one of the joys of this show. He's so entertaining as Harry Seldon that the more Harry we get, the better, right? He's fun. Yes, yes. Agree. Yeah. And it's, and it's fun, too, to see his reaction as things change because, like, from the very beginning, and we talked about this probably last time, but it's been two years, I don't remember, but from the very beginning, things kind of went wrong, right? The whole idea of psychohistory is you're – you're trying to shape the great big currents of history, but you cannot account for the individual. And so from the very jump, Raish, his adopted son, basically, and Gail, Raish's girlfriend or whatever, they screwed everything up from the very beginning. And so it's all gone wrong from the very beginning. This is the, the irony of psychohistory hits hard against Harry there. Yes. And so he's having to do a combination of hoping that people can, you know, that the great waves of history will re get back in the riverbed, you know, reshape on their own. And he's out there trying to tweak it as, as a hologram inside the prime radiant and inside the vault and all that. So, all right. So um, what we've done is kind of break down the main there's, you can say there's storylines, but really there's groups of characters. And sometimes they interact, but more or less they don't. And in fact, have you noticed in episode three, episode four, and episode five of season two, in three, four, and five, we got totally separate groups of characters with very little crossover. Like in episode four, we didn't see the emperors at all. We didn't see... Um, another group at all. Whereas we saw in episode four, we had quite a lot of general bell Rios and his husband. Yeah. Right. Whereas in this episode, we didn't see bell Rios at all. And we didn't see, uh, some, something else. We didn't see bell Rios at all. And we, yeah, I guess that's and the mo one of the most recent one. that We didn't see Hober Mallow in them, did we? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and brother Constance and all that. Yeah. So, all right. So let's take it, one little group at a time. And and by the way, I had a fun quote that I found where if people are saying, um, well, let me, let me back up and say, I'm, I'm looking forward in a couple of weeks, I'll be at Dragon Con and I'm on a panel in the American science fiction television contemporary 
track. Like they have classics, they have contemporary, they have whatever, they have British. And, and there's, they're doing a panel on foundation. And, and the name of the panel is Shaky Foundation. And the description is like, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's on the lines of, are we really happy with what's, what they're doing to it? It seems like the track is coming from the perspective that they don't like it. And are we going to agree? I'm very much looking forward to seeing what the other panelists say, because I'm going to be on there a little ray of sunshine, man. I'm going to be like, this is awesome. I, again, I am a, traditionally a book-first person and a, and a book purist when it comes to right. other adaptations of things, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, whatever. The books, in, as I said at the beginning, the books in this one are not in the same class and a faithful adaptation of them would honestly be not that enjoyable as a viewer. This is much better than what the books could have been made to be. So I, I'm interested if there's some book purists that show up to that panel that are like, give me the original text. I know. Well, that was the problem we had last year. You know, th- to be fair, this was a show that kind of started slow. The first two or three episodes, you kind of had to be dedicated to the property and given a little time to grow. But once it got going, it got really compelling, I thought. And um, and that's one of the things I've loved about season two is that characters have gotten together in little groups that we didn't see before. Like putting Gale and Salver together was fantastic because they have a really good chemistry, but they were never together all of season one, just for example. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what people are going to say. I, w- I want to see so- if, if somebody wants to stand up and say, they needed to make this more like the books. I want to hear them defend that, justify it. Yes. How, how do you, how? We needed more nuclear power and more conversations and less genetic cloning of the emperors and less uh, hairy as less a clone. As, yeah. Oh my gosh. So I, okay. Well, anyway. So anyway, um, I made a note, anybody that watches the TV show so far and then goes and reads the books is going to be mildly disappointed if they expect to see any of this. Uh, like I was listening to a podcast the other day where somebody was saying, well, you know, the Prime Radiant, little, the little Dungeons and Dragons dice, right? They said, you know, it does this and this. And what does it do in the book? And I'm like, oh, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the book. See, that's just one example. Of uh, uh, so they're going to be really disappointed if they go and read the books after, you know. It's it's not like. Do you remember when Fellowship of the Ring came out and all the people that hadn't read Lord of the Rings were like, "I'm going to go read the Two Towers right now." And I was like, "Cool, you know, you'll get a lot of spoilers, but you'll enjoy it." After the first season of Foundation, the people are like, "I'm going to go read the rest of Foundation." I'm like, "Well, good luck. <laughs> I have no idea if you're going to find anything that's going to help you, other than." a couple of characters that we're going to get to other, other than them, right? Obviously there's a couple of, they, they are doing a good job. I think of putting the big characters in, they're changing them. They're taking the big themes and the big characters. They're just right. Doing them differently. So, mm-hmm. well, another person that read the books and was then disappointed was Isaac Asimov <laughs> because Asimov said that in the 1980s, what does he know? Ah, yeah, exactly. What a, who is that guy? But Asimov in the 80s was approached by the publisher, and they said, you know, you've never done but the three original Foundation books, which is confusingly Foundation, Foundation, Empire, and Second Foundation. And they said, would you like to do another one? We'll pay you a truck, truckload of money to do a fourth one. And that, that became Foundation's Edge, which was a big deal back in the mid-80s. And... Um, 
And so he said, all right, let me go sit down and reread them for the first time in like 40 years and get an idea of what to do. And he said he read them with increasing dread because he said he kept waiting for the action and the conflict to start. And he said it it never really does. He goes, oh, my gosh, I wrote three books with no action and no physical suspense, just conversations. And I mean... I think they're loved for the ideas. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. In in the same way, again, Dune does a much better job with some of, a lot of the other stuff. But in right. the same way, I, the people love Dune because of it's a vision of the future yeah. and where humankind could be. A lot of that is in Foundation as well. Um, Alec Navala Lee wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called Astounding. That's that's kind of a biography of the guys, and they were all guys that were writing for Astounding science fiction magazine back mm-hmm. in the '40s and '50s, including uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, L. Ron Hubbard, which is the most entertaining part of the book. All working for John W. Campbell, who wrote you know the thing, and um, he had a good eye for talent, apparently. Oh, he was a great editor, fantastic editor, yeah. And he wrote the thing, so the two things together. But um, in it, it talks about how Asimov, who was a very young man, got like an opportunity to present to a publisher like a book or book series. And he, he didn't have anything in mind. So like he was walking to the publisher's office and along the way through New York City, walking down the sidewalk, he thought, well, what could I do? I got to think of something quick, 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 quick. I got to think of something. He thought, rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Let's just move that to outer space. So that was his big, you know, his big breakthrough. One sentence kind of sums it up. He said, you know, let's take the um, the Roman Empire and make it the Galactic Empire. And how many things have been based on that ever since then? You know, my gosh. Sure. So. All right. So the first little group of, of characters um, I want to look at are probably what you might think of as the main characters to some degree, right? Gail Dornick, uh, who was basically Harry's apprentice, and Salver Harden, who was this mysterious young woman on Terminus once they'd gotten there. Okay. The, the first foundation. The, yeah, the first foundation. And um, we had suspicions as to how they might be related and who she was, but because they were telling the story... Um, at the same time, it was hard to be sure because, again, this is a complex story, and one of the things that's complicated about it is um, knowing the time period you're dealing in. It jumps around in time a lot, you know. So, um, at the very be- you know the very end of last season, they they encountered each other. Very beginning of the season, they got together, Gail and, and Salver. And turns out Salver is Gail's daughter with Raish. So they have an interesting relationship. And then, of course, they have the Prime Radiant, so they have a copy of Harry. So they've been kind of on this little jaunt around the galaxy in Salver's boyfriend's spaceship, I believe, uh, going to different places and getting involved in different things. And a lot of little things have happened, but I want to kind of focus on the main thrust, you know, so what has been your impression of the Salver, Gale, Harry road trip? Uh, I, I, three, three competing interests on a road trip is a good way to look at it. Um, and Harry is kind of the wild card, right? Because he is at first 
a hologram, but also a hologram that can possess the ship and yeah. determine where they go and don't go and what happens. So uh, a very powerful hologram in that way. So then he tells them he's going one place, but then actually takes them to another planet oh, that's where yeah. he ends up, uh, you know, walking go uh, with the uh, going across the desert and the end result is he ends up becoming a, a human body we don't understand how or why or who but yeah. one minute he's a clone and then later he comes out he's in an actual body and they escape and fly away mm, the one place we know there's genetic material from him to clone him would be the knife right mhm and i might have and, and it, it went with gail Yes. So something there's something there. I'm not exactly sure how, but clearly somehow the woman, that mysterious woman on that planet, and we don't know exactly who she is because she looks like different people at different times. She must have cloned Harry, right? Given him a new body and put the put the the, the holographic Harry into this body. Yes. And they, he calls her Calais, which is like a mathematician that was related to psychohistory, but yeah, we don't know a lot about it. I, you know, it would be really interesting to have watched uh, Goyer and company in the writer's room coming up with all this because, my gosh, they must have planned all of this out in advance. And if this show gets canceled, he needs to just put out a book with, like, the outline or something so we can yeah. see because I'm going to need to know more. Wait, because this is the other part. We're talking about these three characters, Gail, Savor, Harry. There's another hologram version of Harry in the other at the first foundation in the on Terminus on Terminus so they are not connected no. they are not talking to each other sharing information they are completely separate consciousnesses going different directions basically yeah um, so they leave that place with Harry's body and we're still getting used to that idea hmm. and then they basically crash land on a planet and you think Salvor's boyfriend is there yeah, that, that was, was weird. Kind of, that was really weird. And then you realize, oh, it's not her boyfriend. It's uh, these telepaths that were disguising themselves. One of them was disguising themselves as the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then basically they're captured by the telepaths. And then they have a conversation with him at the end of the episode. And it's a weird conversation because the, the, tele- the telepathic people, mentalics, whatever they are, uh, and by the way, that's an idea that does, to some degree, come from the books. There's one character we know that has telepathic powers. I'm not sure it's seen as like a widespread thing like this. This actually reminds me a little bit more of like Babylon 5, where you have the telepaths having their own colony separate from other people and kind of hiding themselves, like the fifth season of Babylon 5. But, um, but, the, but the idea here seems to be that they're portraying themselves as somewhat supportive of Harry and then once they're taken away, the leader kind of says, we must prevent the second foundation from ever happening. And I'm like, so they're out to actually stop it. But we don't know why. We don't know yet what their motivations are. We really don't know who they are other than just what we yes. know what they are. But we don't really know who they are, why. Why do they care about the second foundation? I mean, let's well, let's think. What's the purpose? So the first foundation is there to kind of counterbalance the remaining empire and to try to preserve knowledge and to survive beyond the first empire and to spread knowledge back out into the galaxy as they've been doing and to kind of bring separate kingdoms mm-hmm. together like they did at the end of the first season, right? 
So they, the first foundation has been doing its job, but it's also the, the, the first foundation's job is to get all the attention, to be visible, right? Yeah. And, and that's going to get us to Bill Rios in a minute. But the first foundation's job is to basically say, hey, here we are. <laughs> Big the, target. The second foundation's job is to be very, very quiet and kind of correct me if I'm wrong here. My understanding, the second foundation's job will be to kind of step in behind the scenes quietly and correct little things that the found the first foundation messes up or that just go wrong, right? So yes. it's kind of important yes. that they have their own Harry, right? The, the Harry that Gail and, and Salver have is is surely the Harry that's going to be part of the second foundation. Yes, exactly. And they're yeah, I think their job is to like go behind the scenes and like you're saying, nudge history back on the path towards the riverbeds it needs to be in, without ca- attracting attention. That the the first yeah, foundation job. Nobody knows job they're is, there. Yeah, they right. just do it. Yeah, I like that. I, I've, I that's one of the things I love about this whole foundation universe is the idea that you set up a kind of a counterbalance to the empire, but you know it could lose, and so you have a backup. I love that the second foundation is like this backup just in case something goes wrong. And right now, the only things going wrong are really just things that could have kind of been anticipated. But we know from the books that a big something go wrong is coming, hopefully. Well, and we, we know, but we know part of this because they were in this TV show. Gail has a vision of the future. They oh, yeah. use their powers where she looks into her future and has a vision of what happens in the distant future. And in that vision, Salvor has died uh, in this battle they're at. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gail is learning some things about what's happening in the future. And in that, she encounters uh, the person responsible for much of the future darkness in the universe, and that person calls himself the Mule. Oh, and Vane is very happy. The Mule is one of my favorite char- characters, favorite ideas ever in science fiction. I just love this idea. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers from the book. Let me put it this way. There are some huge spoilers about the Mule that would pretty much ruin your enjoyment so I'm not. I don't want to go there. Let's until the show goes there. Let's don't go there. I want people that listen to this to not have any danger of having things spoiled. But I mean, what you just say? It, it obviously matters. Oh right? yeah. I mean, that vision, yeah. that character matter. Yeah, yeah. That's a real. And again, we don't know what the show's going to do, but the show has now. They've opened the box and shown us a mule in the box. <laughs> Well, in your earlier point about how they have used t- different mechanisms to go through time in the story, we now need to add like future visions to that yes. list of things, along that's with right. cloning and, and other things, because this is not something that's happening in the current time. That's right. Yeah, the, the mule is still in the future. And the only thing I'll say is there's a. I've always thought a lot of Warhammer 40,000 comes from this character and this idea. So we'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but the thing about it is that now we know that there's more stuff coming in the future. And like you said, Gail has the ability to kind of have these visions to see it. Although I, she has to be in like dire straits to have these visions. She can't just do it when she wants to. Doesn't she have to like almost suffocate herself to cause yes, it to happen? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. So she has some kind of mental powers, too. It's not just these people on the planet. And Salvor has a little bit, too. So mm-hmm. it's the combination of their powers that's helpful. Hers works. Doesn't hers work differently, though? I, it's, 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 she sees the past or she sees yes. Yes. something Gale weird. sees the future and Salvor sees the past. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm sure could come in handy before it's over. It's interesting. Um, but again, I love how they got them together when they were from different times and different places and everything. It just they find so many creative, clever ways to bring the characters uh, together, bouncing around. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and watch the entire first season all over again and then catch back up. I would have, I would have already done that, but it dawned on me the other day that there are other shows I have to talk about at Dragon Con and I haven't finished them yet, like the third season of The Witcher. <laughs> so I'm like, I gotta stay awake through several more episodes of The Witcher. Oh, God, that show knocks me out every night. Um, uh, but anyway, then I'll get back to Foundation. So anyway, um, all right. So that's Gale, Salver, and Harry. And I'm really anxious to see what comes of that. That's this plot line in particular, because it seems to be the one leading to the second foundation, which is awesome. And it seems to be the one that's on a collision course with the mule, who is awesome. So I'm really excited about And I love all three of those characters. They're very fun. They're very well done. And I love how, um, how, how, how like, um, specific they are, uh, how characterized they are. Like, when they crashed on the planet, Gale and Harry are both kind of intellectual, right? And they're like, they immediately start talking about intellectual things there. Salver grabs a gun and says, I'm going to go patrol the perimeter, right? Because she's a yep. warden. That's how she is. That's that's good writing. That's understanding your characters and having them do what they would do. And I love that. Yes. I thought it was so good. Yes. Yep. 100%. All right. Uh, the next group. Uh, is the cr- the crowd still on foundation, and we don't get nearly as much of them because they're kind of a a scattered bunch. The people that are still the people that are running Terminus in the current timeline, if we can say that there is one, more or less, uh, we don't know them, right? We've only seen a glimpse of them, and one of them got killed as soon as we met him. So, but here's what they've done, as Harry kind of put it, they have moved into the religion portion of the program right and and he kind of went oh you're in the religion part that's that's fun okay cool you know <laughs> when he comes out so they are in the process of promoting well let's let put the context the context is the empire has pretty much fallen in, the, in their part of the galaxy out on the fringe the empire's gone right so they're just like little individual planets basically the wild west so what the foundation is doing there is showing up as priests and saying, look at our magical technology. We're magician priests. Look at our amazing technology. Don't you want to join our club and get access to this cool magic technology? And some people say yes, and some say kill that demon or whatever. And the one guy got basically lynched for it. But the two characters, well, three. Okay, the three characters we've met aside from vault harry we'll call him as opposed to prime radiant harry the three characters we met there are polly who we knew as a little kid now he's an old man and drunk he's kind of fun brother constant which is the young lady with dark hair i love her she's really fun Mm -hmm. and hober mallow who oh my gosh i mean han solo you know whatever you want to call him so what are you thinking about this segment of the story right now I, i'm enjoying it because again as you said they worship harry 
Yeah, the prophet. Yeah, the the two priests, Brother Constant and Poli, are spreading the religion of Harry, but it's also like, how much do they believe mm-hmm. that? How devout are they really? But also, like, Poli ho- holds very firm the idea that, like, I, he's the only person that was around that actually saw Harry the last yeah. time, and so people better respect that. He heard the real word from the man. And so they're flying around trying to influence people, and they... The vault tells them to go find Hober Mallow, so they go do it. And he's off doing con man stuff. <laughs> and stealing great, things, by the way. And, and they break him out of there and help him escape with with his stolen goods. Um, and then they come back and enter the vault. And that was a very interesting experience to have a conversation with Harry inside the vault. Yes. Which is apparently the the cousin of the TARDIS because it just goes on forever inside there and yet it's just this door. So the vault on Terminus is really more like a doorway. That thing we've always mm-hmm. seen yes. like a spaceship standing on its rear end up there and it and it separates and it's kind of like a doorway into like a fourth dimension type of thing, I guess. Yes. So Yes, very much. I just want to say the whole that whole segment where Hober Mallow is running his con game on that kingdom and they're going to execute him and everything and he can swap bodies, that was just that was awesome. That was all so good. It was and, really and, good. And and poor little Polly and Brother Constant just like get right in the middle of all that and they just don't know what to make of Hober. Although I think Brother Constant kinda wants to know what to make of, of Hober and that doesn't work out. She's she's uh, clearly attracted to him, but he's like he actually clearly I thought the whole scene there, it was kind of a weird scene where she's kind of like wanting to sleep with him and he's like, no, no, no. The thing I thought was interesting about that was that his objection was not that he didn't like her or whatever, but that he didn't think it would be right. And I'm like, here's the guy who up to this point does everything wrong. He's corrupt. He's no good. He's a con man, a grifter, you know. And yet this young lady is like, hey, let's go have sex. And he's like, no, that wouldn't be right. Let's don't. And I'm like, okay, so clearly he's got something to him beyond, you know, I'm going to grab everything I can grab and run. I mean, that's interesting. I'm trying to think in the book, I think he was just a, just a, like a mayor or something, right? I don't, I don't feel like he was this character in the book at all, but I can't remember. I don't remember either. So then they are sent on missions by... Vault Harry. Vault Harry, yeah. To and do two different things, which was kind of confusing. I, I mean, and again, I it, this, here's the thing. They cram so much into these hours, mm-hmm. and it goes by so fast that I'm not always sure I understand what happened. So let me correct me if I'm wrong again here. So Brother Constant and Polly, I guess Brother Polly or whatever he called himself, they're going to... Yeah, they're going to go have peace talks with Empire. Notes there's no yes. article there, Empire. Well, that's not going to go well. <laughs> that, 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 no. You, you don't think he will uh, react they? well to meeting the, the priest of Harry Selden? Oh, my gosh. That day is going to make that conversation last as long as it amuses him, and then he's going to snap his fingers and they're going to be beheaded or something worse. Day, every day, that's a weird thing to say. It seems like when they get into that phase of their lives, the genetic emperors, they become just sadistic monsters. 
with very few exceptions. I think the the current dusk when he was day was not bad, as we're seeing in kind of flashbacks. He was just kind of like, let's go party. Hey, baby, you're pretty, you know. But it most days seem to be kind of jerks, really bad. So I'm, yeah. I'm very concerned for Brother Constant and Brother Polly, and I feel like there's a very high possibility one of them will die, if not both of them. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think either, either of us think that they're going to walk out of there with a treaty. No. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, Polly's going to be like, peace in our time, right? Like Chamberlain. The, the, Sign here. The Empire has agreed. Peace in our time. Yeah, that's not happening. No. Uh, it's going to be a matter of which one of them dies, if if not both, unfortunately. But the other mission, because clearly Harry's big on backup plans, right? The whole second foundation is a backup plan. Hober Mallow is sent on a different mission. I What do we know about what he was sent to do? Did they tell us anything? No. I, but I And he's not going with them. Right. Like, he's Separate. taking... They're traveling on regular transport. He took their super jump ship. Yeah. And he's going off to do his own thing. So he's not going to Empire. I think it's interesting that they trust him. Give him a nice ship. Uh, well, I think Harry says, I've given you a mission. And, and then, but did Harry say that he should get the ship? Or did Hober Mallow say, like, well, maybe I just need the cool ship to go do this? This is the thing. How much can we trust this guy? I don't know. It's like we've get, they gave us two episodes worth of don't trust him as far as you can throw him. And then he comes out and says, I need this really nice spaceship to go do this mission for Harry. I mean, maybe, I guess. Okay. Um I've got to mention, by the way, I didn't have this in our notes, but I've got to mention here, my, one of my favorite things was, so when the vault first opened and the new mayor of Terminus goes up to it and is like, welcome, Harry Heseldon, to our great, our, our humble, you know, whatever, and, and he f- gets bl- burnt up. He fries him, he toasts him. In fact, later when Hober sees the little black spot on the ground, he's like, wait, that was a guy? <laughs> you know, they're going in. He's like, wait, that was a, that was a person? So later, when they tell Harry that that happened, Harry's like, ah, yeah, he probably needed killing. I mean, I forget exactly that. He gave a justification, right? He, he was assuming too much power, yeah. and he was going to make himself the voice of Harry Seldon in the real world, basically. But also, Harry's like, my judgment must be both terrible yes. and unpredictable. There you go, yeah. It, 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 it put the fear of Harry into him a little bit, which is fair. Yeah. And then also along similar lines, when the people all go into the vault, and there's like a handful of them, one of them is like the military commander of the foundation. And so Harry walks around and says something nice to each of the people. The vault Harry, hologram, says something nice to each of them. No, maybe he's physical. He's, he's not physical. No, he can't be. But the, the thing no, is made out of his body or something. But yeah. So he goes around, says something nice to each of them. And to the to the two brothers, right, to the two religious people, he like blesses them and, you know, whatever is going to mean a lot to them, kisses her on the head and all that. And then when he gets to the general, he's like, nice suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very nice suit. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Yeah, that hurt. I'm like, Poor guy. Well, he didn't. I don't think he was even invited in. He's lucky he didn't get no. fried, right? I mean, it could have been a lot worse than having your 
entire value reduced to the cut of your suit. So, all right. So we'll see what happens there, but I am very intrigued by that too. And it's interesting too, because Terminus was not the most exciting location in the first season until like the battle started. I thought once the armies arrived, it got interesting, but up until then it was just like scientists doing research, you know, and Salver wondering why people pass out on the hill and all that stuff. And they, it, it kicked, it's, it's much more interesting now. All right. You want to move to the third group? Yes. All right. The genetic dynasty. I'm an idiot. It only dawned on me yesterday that Cleon is an anagram for clone. Duh. So the emperor's name literally is clone because that's what they are. Uh, I just think this is one of the most brilliant ideas on TV. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked about this two years ago on the first time we talked about it. But i got to point out, what to me is so amazing about this concept is that it means they get to use the same actors in different roles. And, and I mean, like, lots of... Because, like, you could see dawn, day, and dusk, and then you fast forward 100 years, and it's dawn, day, and dusk, but they're three different characters. Or you could fast forward 25 years or 30 years, and now Lee, Lee Pace is playing a different person as day, and the person Lee Pace was pay, playing is now being played by the older actor, and there's a brand new dawn. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it's like musical. The actors stay the same, and the, the roles keep like musical chairs going behind them, around them. It's so fascinating. It, it took me several episodes of season one to wrap my brain around it as far as I have. It's really brilliant uh, in terms of the show's creation and the way they execute it. And I think the actors are good at those roles and their relations to each other and stuff. The mannerisms they have that kind of duplicate each other are really good. The scenes where they eat together and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but also the, you know, you get to know them a little bit, even in the different variations of them, right? Mm -hmm. The Dawn that got lured into the plot in season one versus this Dawn. You know, the uh, the dusk of, of season one versus this dusk. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's interesting, right? Uh, so those things are... And also, the idea that, you know, if something happens at any moment, we just thaw out another one and they've got your memories <laughs> and you just keep rolling. So they're... Li it, but it's, it's so in some ways, it's literally like we've created this thing that's undestroyable. Yeah. Because, great, you take a shot at one of them, you took him out... Tomorrow, the guy's right back there, and he's got the full memories, and we just keep moving. You can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought to throw an extra twist in, at the end of first season, we found out that there's genetic drift has been introduced. So now they're not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I you know, Lee Pace has always gotten stuck with roles as like the heavy, the big, scary dude or whatever, but he's never gotten a lot of show, a lot of range. He's just never been allowed to. But he gets to do so much with this role as day, as different days, because like, did you like the, the very first scene of the very first of the, uh, the very first scene of the first episode of season two, I believe is the assassination attempt on him when he's with Demerzel, the, the lady who we found out at the end of the first season of the robot. And he's got an earring and I'm like, ah, oh, see already there's these little subtle changes 
that they never had an earring before. Now he wants an earring. He wants to get married, right? That's that's a well, huge that's, change. That's a, 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 not no pun intended, a foundational change in the way mm. the empire operates. Mm-hmm. He wants to do away with this whole system mm-hmm. of dusks and dawns. He wants to get married and have his children inherit and raise them and teach them to be fugitives instead of decanting another dawn and having that be the future emperor. And so that yeah. is literally throwing out the whole system that we just talked about. And it's amazing. I mean, we don't know how far he's going to get with it. It may be that Demerzel, maybe, or Dusk and Dawn, or somebody, the recording of Cleon the First. There's a lot of other power focuses, foci, around besides just Day. Day acts like he's the supreme leader and the and the autocrat, right? He acts like it's him, him, him. But we know that there are other centers of power around him that don't normally do much because they kind of all defer to him, right? But yes. they can. They have the potential. You tell me Demerzel couldn't just take over the entire empire like that if she wanted to. Let's talk about that. All right. We learned at the end of season one She's a robot. They had made illusion of the fact that in thousands of years before, there were robot wars against AI and robots, and they had wiped them all out and forbidden their construction. And then we learned they had kept one Mm -hmm. to help take care of them and be the the behind-the-scenes steady. And again, another way to use the same actors and go through time, a robot. There is another one. Yeah, that's right. God, there's so many. It's brilliant. Yes. and But also... I think she's the bad guy. Yeah. Although I think she's the ultimate bad guy of the whole show. I really believe that. I don't know if I'm right or not. I'm not basing this on the books. I just think like this is the she's playing the long game. And I think one of the things we can see is that her power has gradually increased. Oh yeah. Over the course of the season and a half we've been watching the show. Yes. Well, she's basically sleeping with Day now. Yes. Which there's and, all kind of things you could do. Right. But she raises Dawn and, and mm-hmm. is like the primary, you know, nursemaid for when they're a young child and, and a young man and teaching them and their primary teacher and, and also kind of their you know guard, bodyguard, but also primary advisor and, and, and primary memory of a lot of things that they can't all keep track of. Yeah. That's right. So I agree. Yeah, I don't know where they're gonna go with her, but I agree that certainly she is has the potential to be yes the the major the major villain the major antagonist on that side of the story 100% can be will she be i don't know but that's certainly where they where it could go um i want to talk about the memory thing so we found out a couple of things in the 5th episode they have Everybody there, including the emperors has memory audits where these people go in and like take things out or change well, I think things? it's a it's like a a backup and a verification thing, right? Basically. Okay, so uh, are there they, memories? The audit part of the audit from the, they just did was mm-hmm. was there any memory in Dusk and Dawn's memory of ordering the attack on Day? Right. And were they involved in the assassination? And they found out they did not have any memory of that. But that when they looked at Dusk was very smart in this, the way he did it. They looked at their memory storage versus the original Cleon the first, and he had like whatever two hundred thirty-one gig of memory, and yeah. they all had like eighty-seven. 
Yeah. So. Well, their first thought was, oh, he must have just had a whole lot more life experiences to remember. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we're missing that much. Yeah. I, and I love I love Dusk and Dawn running around like junior secret agent, secret spies, right, trying to figure this all out because they're utterly incompetent. This is so beyond well, them, but they're trying. So but hard. also, there is nobody they could ask to help no. them. No, sure can't go to Demerzel. That'd be the last thing they want to do. And and um and did you catch? There's so many little. Again, it goes by so fast. But there was like this moment when they were talking to the to the guy at the desk that like was the librarian of the mm-hmm. memories, and you know the guard had been there earlier working for the Dominion Queen, which we'll get to in just a second. That's a whole other thing that's involved in this plot line. But he had come in there earlier kind of working for the women, the, the, the future wife, theoretically, and had asked for certain memories. And so when Dusk and Dawn asked for some memories, the guy's like, oh, man, everybody's wanting memories today. You know, you guys must be part of that all thing. And they just kind of look at each other like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea what he's talking about. Because when he first said it, I'm like, oh, they're busted, right? When when the librarian first said, oh, you're not the first person here today to get these memories, I'm like, oh, the, the Dominion Queen, she's busted. No, not at all, because they're so scared. Dusk and Dawn are so scared to get caught that when he says out loud that other people have been poking around there, rather than rather than saying, what?, who was it? Who? What did they want? Instead, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. So, yeah, they're so timid and scared, and yet they have to um, they have to act like they know what they're doing. So uh, a couple other things about Day. Um, the You know, they used to have the big space elevator, and that got destroyed. Now there's these rings around Trantor, the, the capital planet. And you think, oh, that's nice. He's got these orbital whatever. And he, he tells us in this episode, they're there to remind the people they're in shackles and live at my pleasure. What? This guy? Yeah. It's like They're like, oh, I thought they'd be invisible. And he's like, no, one of them would be visible so they remind the people in shackles. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. He said they were supposed to, they were designed to be invisible and he changed it. He said, I want them to be visible so they'll remember. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So he's he's got issues for sure. I, this this is not a good uh, not a good day. Um. So let me see what else we wanted to we got about the, the Dominion people. So Queen Serath, I think it is. I sometimes I have the captions on some of the don't the Dominion, which I assume is another one of these separate kingdoms, kind of like the Foundations kingdom, right? This is one that's risen up separate from Empire, but it's strong enough, or is it like a su- I, what what exactly I, is it? I think. Empire was never all of known space, right? Okay. It was a lot of space, and it was the biggest and the strongest, in the same way like the Roman Empire was never the whole world, right? Okay. It was the biggest and strongest, and it's part of the world, but Dominion is nearby and has their own sphere of control and their own leadership, and they, so they have relations with Empire. They have you know, the trade or whatever. Maybe they fought wars in the past, and so now... He was looking around for the idea of a marriage to end the genetic dynasty, but he needs to have somebody that's an equal. He can't marry a subject. That's right. Not- right. Yeah, that's how it works in European aristocracy. It's not mm-hmm. like the it's not normally like the, the king of France mar- would marry 
somebody from France, you'd marry a princess from Germany yeah. or a princess from right. Italy or something. Right. So she's the, yeah. So the complication is that apparently he had her family wiped out. They, I use, sorry, pronoun trouble. They apparently had her family wiped out potentially to kind of spur her into doing this, right? To, to be. It's funny willing. you said pronoun trouble, but they're all really the same person. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's fair. So she thinks he did. And I think we've he's more or less admitted, but I, yes, not to her. D- Dimmers, though, said they, could, they can't track it back to us. So that he did do it. Right, right. But he hadn't admitted to her. But she's, she, it's like she's there on two missions. She's there to decide if she wants to marry him. And she's there to find out if he killed her family. And we don't know... You know, what's we know what kind of what Day is thinking, but does she really want to do this? Uh, they're now engaged after the last episode, but does she really want to marry him, or is this purely investigation? And and or does she see this as the best way for Dominion to survive? I mean, it, clearly, if they marry, Empire gets Dominion ultimately. So that part mm. is, you know, uh, interesting. But also the whole idea of. Um, you know, dusk and dawn, and maybe others like you reference these other folk guys of power being against the marriage. So then, how does that relate to her and her, you know, relationship with Day? Yeah, it is interesting. I, I like that dusk and dawn are having to deal with this too, and don't seem to have any way of stopping it. Right? And it's like nobody even asked them, and, and what they think doesn't matter, which is interesting. And. Dusk seems to think that it's great because Dawn will get to lead a nice, happy life and not have to sit around waiting to be emperor. And I don't know if that's what Day would probably do with with his p- potential successor. I feel like I feel like if Day marries the queen, Dawn is going to accidentally trip and fall down a flight of stairs twelve or thirteen times <laughs> onto a bunch I mean, of knives. You made the the you know the European aristocracy reference, so we can make the Game of Thrones references here yeah. too. Like that, you're the heir to the throne, which is not the one they want. It, when, it, and immediately it's okay, but as soon as they have children, yeah. Well, you know what the Ottoman Empire used to do is when one of the sons, the oldest son, would become the new sultan, he would have all of his younger brothers strangled to death immediately. Yes. So it's great to be the younger brother of the of the sultan to be up until the moment he becomes a sultan, and then you better, you're you know life is short. You better be so, out of town. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that could very well be what happens with with day. dusk. I doubt they'd worry about right. He's waiting to go to his disintegration box or whatever it is. But they could but keep di- him around as an advisor, or they could say, yeah, hey. or could just go ahead and yeah take care of all of it. So, um. Yeah, very interesting there. I don't know what the whole Dominion... Clearly what we're seeing is it's a whole lot about the Dominion we don't know. And and I think what's interesting, too, is that in this season, rather than kind of taking all the introductory stuff from season one and moving us along in the direction of a resolution, a lot of this season seems to be opening up more. I feel like... In other words, at the end of season one, I felt like you could tell this story in three seasons. At the at, at the midpoint of season two, I feel like it's going to take four or five now. You know, I, it's fair, but I think 
I can't remember exactly where we were at season one at this point, but I think there's a, a with these multiple story streams we've, we're talking through right now, there's going to be a lot of intersection and consolidation over the next couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. All right. The last thing I want to ask you about from the, the genetic dynasty, of course, anything you want to talk about from it by all means, but the last question I have is who actually sent the assassins to try to kill day? at the beginning of this season. Cause I don't think it was the dominion cause they're trying to find out about it too. They didn't know exactly about it until she, you know, in fact, the scene you, you mentioned that they got engaged, the scene where they got engaged was actually pretty funny. Cause it was like one of those rom-coms where they're bickering and bickering until they say, I love you and fall into the, other's arms. They were about ready to kill each other. And they're like, all right, so I guess we're engaged in. Okay, fine. Huh? You know, but, but while she was in there doing that, there was a lot of subtext. She's figuring out that there had been an assassination attempt, seeing the holes in the wall and everything, and he's figuring out that she's figuring that out. And so there, it's one of those scenes in a, in a show or a movie where both characters are saying things, but both characters know they're following a script, and they both know that the other knows more than they're letting on. They just can't say it out loud. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I just want to say the only thing that distracted me in that scene is like the idea that the, the repairs to the to the emperor's personal bedroom in this galactic empire looked like me patching over sheetrock or something. So yes. I, I just felt like it would have been a little bit cleaner and she wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah. But yeah. I, it's part of the narrative of the story. They needed it to be that way. So I got it. I thought that was well done. Um, I, I again, the assassins thing. I think was Demerzel. Oh my gosh, really? This is this is just me. I'm just okay. throwing stuff out there. Okay. I because also his personal aura would didn't work during the attack. He was That's vulnerable right. in a way he should not have been. That's right. And so maybe the attack and the events around it pushed him in a direct the, the, whoever it was, the attack and the events around it pushed him in the direction they wanted him to go making him more paranoid, more vulnerable, more likely to do other things in the future they wanted to. So whether it's Demerzel or Dusk or somebody else, you know, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the foundation. Um, no, I don't no, think I don't it's think Harry. So. I think it's somebody no. more internal that we've seen around him. Um, I think that's, that part is manipulating him and making him go in the direction they want to go. But also like, uh, manipulating everybody to making them seem think they're more vulnerable. So, yeah, I just there's just not many suspects because, like you said, there's no way it's the foundation. They're they haven't gotten anywhere to that point <laughs> yet. No, and the the prime suspect to me would be the Dominion. Yes, but they acted like they had no clue. That's why she was in there finding stuff out. Well, the princess. Yeah. The queen has no information, but there are other characters in the Dominion. Yeah. The older woman who's like Rue. her advisor, maybe she did. Rue, maybe she did it. That's, I guess, that's possible. Because she knows what day is really like because of her experience. Oh, that's true. And their ability to control and edit memory and that kind of stuff. And she doesn't want the princess to do this. I don't know. I have been wondering why they were spending so much time on Rue and Dusk. It's felt mm-hmm. like they've gotten more screen time than makes logical sense just to be 
hangers on to other people's courts. You know what I mean? Yes. That's weird. But we're learning a lot about them. I mean, like we know that Rue well, was a but it was also a way for them to have a very it was really smart writing of a way for them to talk about how memory's edited and what it feels like. You can't yes. tell it's gone, all that stuff. So that's then true. that told that because she he does have that conversation with her, then that's what put the light bulb in Dust's head to go, Oh, maybe that crap's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the again, the writing on this is just Incredible. I think it's very underappreciated by most people. Um, all right, so that's that's the genetic dynasty. The last corner that we have to turn is one that's brand new. And this goes back to the second book. Um, the second book in the series, Foundation and Empire, um, there are two new characters basically introduced in it as adversaries. The second one is the mule, and we're going to get to all that, hopefully sooner rather than later. But the first one is the general. And basically the, the, the setup in the book, this is one of the things that's the closest to the book, really, right, is that the empire realizes the foundation is out there up to something, and brings in their best general, who is kind of a Julius Caesar threat to try to overthrow the government, you know, who has very loyal troops, and they bring him in and send him out there to deal with the foundation, investigate, and handle it. They fleshed it out on the TV show, A, by having him be a pri- I don't think he was a prisoner in the book. I'm going to have to go back and reread that again. I don't think, I think he was just a general. But they made him more interesting, right? He had betrayed Day, hadn't followed his orders or some nonsense. And he ends up in, you know, in, in hard labor. And they introduced a character with him, his husband, right? So um, this is a guy who is close to him. And, of course, when you do that, when you introduce a, a character who's close to a new character, you're giving them somebody to give us They're exposition, talking. to talk to, to talk yeah. to us, and to give them a vulnerability, Yes, a kryptonite, right? A, a, a vulnerability. So, but somebody wh- that like all the conversations can't be in his head. He has right. to talk to somebody about why am I doing this? What are we trying to accomplish? How do we feel about serving? Like, do you really trust the emperor? All that uh, kind of stuff, right. right? Yeah, to bounce stuff off of. So, what are your thoughts about Bell Rios so far and where that might be going? I'm interested. I'm ex- as you said. I'm ex- it's an interesting new character. I'm kind of excited. Um, you know the. The soldiers that work for the Empire Season 1 were kind of, you know, Imperial Stormtrooper types, right? Yeah. They were all like just, okay, these guys are cannon fodder <laughs> targets, and, and they're not going to make it. But this guy is different, right? Mm-hmm. He's a character, and he has interesting motivations and and doesn't love Empire and understands how unforgiving Empire can be, even to people who have done good things for it. So, yep. um and is very smart and very competent, too. Yeah, like, that's the other part. Incredibly capable, a competent military leader who's going to cause real problems for Foundation, I think. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, again, I have no idea where the TV show is going, and I won't give you a specific, but as I remember in the book, the Foundation kind of finds a clever way to, to defeat him, but it's not like a military defeat. I don't think they just line up and have a giant space battle. It's more like they find a kind of a clever way uh, to 
turn the emperor against him or something. And so I could see that happening here just because we know that Day already doesn't love him and is very suspicious of him, right? So, yes. Yeah. That would make other, a lot of sense. Yeah. The other thing I really like about Bell Rios and, and uh, I guess Glaywin or whatever the guy's name is, they have some of the best technology. I love yes. their little extraction kit, right? They go, they come, they, they basically base jump or whatever down in spacesuits to this planet. And then when they're ready to go, they open this box and these rings pop up and they're like linear accelerators that shoot them back up to their spaceship. I'm like, whoa, that's, I just love the, the ideas of the technology. That, 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 on but show. it's also like they're, it's a little bit of a Star Trek thing going on there where they're in the outer rib of planets of stuff and yeah. people have some base level of technology to survive, but they don't have any of that kind of stuff. No. No, so it gave us a great it gave us a great kind of a firefly scene where yes. Wild West people find their technology and they're trying to blackmail them or sell it, you know, sell it back to them or kill them or whatever and we and what that did also it allowed us to see how competent they are at combat. The two of them took out that entire group yes. of pretty desperate outlaws, you know, easily pretty much. Just a little blood on Bell Rios' face was about the extent of it. So, And that takes me to the other thing I want to talk about, probably the last major thing I can think of, which is when they go and visit their, their agent, right? They go to that planet, I think it was Suena, and they mm-hmm. visit that agent that had seen Brother Constant and... and, and, yes. and um Polly. Polly, yeah. Um, he had a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, and... The great thing there is, because I teach religion, I talk about the Bhagavad Gita a lot, is it's mostly a story of the warrior Arjuna in the middle of a battle saying, eh, why are we killing people? Why do we do this? Do we have to do this? You know, and that sounds a lot like, you know, Bel Rios being kind of introspective and bitter about his experiences and like, you know, why am I really doing this? And then his, his charioteer, the driver of his tank, basically, says, oh, man, you have to because that's your duty, right? Your duty to your caste and to your king and all that is to fight because you're a warrior. And then, you know, at that point, Arjuna says, wow, Krishna the charioteer, how did you get to be so wise? And Krishna says, oh, because I am the god Vishnu in disguise. So I'm waiting to find out if... Um, if uh, Bell Rios's uh, with Glaywin, if he's like more than meets the eye, maybe he turns out to be something. You know, that's what uh, interesting. That's, that's what. But also, I, I I didn't know that about that book uh, that they reference on the show. So that thank you for sharing that. That was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it it really fits. And I think I heard another podcast where they said that somebody asked on like the official podcast asked Goyer about it. And he said, those are ideas we wanted you to have. Which is, which is a nice way of saying, I'm not, I'm not telling you that that's what's going to happen or anything, but we wanted you to think that way for one way or another, right? So that's interesting. It is good. It is interesting. And again, it shows kind of the writing and how they're forward thinking about the book and the way they communicate with the audience. So. Yeah, it is. All right, so... I'm out of stuff. What else do we want to say in kind of conclusion, wrapping up about the first half of season five of, uh, of season two of, 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 of the foundation? 
I mean, I think we're getting ready to see some intersections of these pathways, right? I think yeah. the Harry Gale Salvor thing with Foundation Two is going to be off here by itself for the rest of, se- of this season. But I think the other pathways, I think Bell Rios the Terminus are on an intersection course, right? Oh Lord, yes. And I think the you know the priests are coming to Empire, and I think their intersection with the marriage and the Dawn Day stuff is going to matter. And then we don't know what Hobermel is doing, but he could be doing some of these other things that. You know, related to these things we just talked about, but also like I, I feel like season one, the last couple of episodes, the pace of action and and shaking events went boom, 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 and and increased right yes. as we headed down the stretch. Yes. And I think we're getting ready to enter that phase where the, the a lot of the first half of season one has been set up, and now we're going to have intersection and events and big changes. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That's the one thing about this show is it feels like it moves slowly. And I don't the, the pacing, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, but it feels like it's moving slowly and then you blink your eyes and it's just thrown like 300 pages of text at you or something, you know. Yes. It's like it it I've never watched a show where there was such a a, a contrast between sometimes it feels slow and sometimes it just feels incredibly fast. You know, looking back at season one, it's astonishing to me how much happened by the time those 10 episodes were over. Yes, they got a lot done. They got a lot done. And if you'd gone back to like episode three and told me that, I'd have said no. Right? I don't know if they're even going to get to Terminus by episode 10. Oh man, by the end of episode 10, they'd already had the battle on Terminus and 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 brought those two people over into the foundation. Yeah, so yeah. with five episodes still to go, there ain't no telling what they can still do. So all right, um I guess that'll do it. We've looked at the first half. I think we can go ahead and make an appointment. We will reconvene after after episode 10. I am curious to see. I don't I haven't looked at the calendar. What episodes will have aired by the time of Dragon Con and what I'll have to talk about to add to this and what I won't. But it won't be over yet. The season no, two will, will not, not. It will not be over as of Dragon Con. We'll have a little ways to go yet. So what a great show. All right. Thank you so much, John. And White Rocket's going to get out of here for another episode. We will see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.